0: Welcome to the Seek Outside Podcast. And hey, you, you think
1: that's bad, you are on the phone in the office. <laughs> Seek Outside Podcast.
2: You like gross stats, and I create fun. Some people are just wired that way.
3: Seek Outside Podcast here, live from Sheep Show, Reno, 2023. We got Mr. Legit Harrison to my left. That's his Instagram handle.
2: <laughs> so, many, so many new followers. <laughs>
3: <laughs> we got Greg Rensmag, and then we got Kyle Stelter. These guys are from, uh, from uh, the Wild Sheep Foundation of BC. Is that correct?
4: Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Wild Sheep Society BC. Yeah. Yeah. Sheep so we're an affiliate of, a, of them. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Okay.
3: Yeah. No. Cool. Well, I kind of just want to start with uh, Greg. Maybe you could give us a little introduction and what you do over there.
0: Well, I'm the secretary for the Wild Sheep Society of BC. Um, I sit on several of the committees, projects, indigenous relations, fundraising, communications, you name it. There's only, I think, one or two I'm not a part of. Yeah. Okay. Um, You'll also find me behind the scenes on our social media. I'm not the main guy, but I'm one of the guys there behind talking sheep, hustling, (laughs) getting people's, getting the guests. Hitting hitting the algorithms hard. Yeah, (laughs) harassing everybody, trying to convince them to come on. Yep. Um, Yeah, no, I'm just doing what I can to help wild sheep in BC. It's only been a few short years, so I'm sucked into the world. How long have you been, been with them? This is year three. Year three? Yeah. yeah. Right so this on. will be just finishing up my third year. Uh, March, I'll be up for renewal. So nice. fingers crossed I get back in as the secretary. <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. I don't well, think too many people are going to sign up for that job. A lot of note-taking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could imagine it being yeah. a pretty,
3: I don't know. Well, actually, we'll go to Kyle here. Why don't you give us an introduction? we will get into some of the other stuff here.
4: Yeah, right on. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. And of course. Awesome to be here with you guys and chatting and... And fun to watch how, how you're supposed to host a podcast, so pretty, pretty <laughs> cool. But uh, my official title is uh, the Chief Executive Officer of Wild Sheep Society, BC. Basically, it's a paid position, and I'm just, you know, Executive Director, or whatever you want to call it, but uh, what do I say, Chief Cook and Bottle washer is what I always joke <laughs> about, but yeah. uh, no, I just get the pleasure of working with a bunch of great guys and gals that are super passionate, super driven, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun, and get to, you know, hang out with guys like Greg, and and he's selling himself short, man. He does so much on our board of directors, yeah. and uh, and again, you know, with, to Greg's point there, he said three years, but three years on our board of directors. But he's been volunteering and involved in conservation for years, literally. So, yeah, nice. yeah pretty cool.
3: Yeah, I can imagine uh, with most conservation organizations, just my dealings with them, and you know, meeting some of the people that work there. It's uh, it's a very I mean, it's just like you said, chief, cook, bottle washer, everything in between. Um, I can imagine, especially you, Greg, jumping on. How long have you been working for Wild Sheeps? Yeah,
4: I'm actually in a paid position now, um, and that just came about uh, just over a year ago. Prior to that, I was involved on a volunteer basis, and I think it goes back about seven or eight years that I've been with our board, Um, off and on throughout the years, fishing game clubs and a whole bunch of stuff. But... When I found the wild sheep family, it was like I'm done. I'm yeah. in and just this is yeah. It. yeah, and nice. just a good group of people. And as we see here in Reno, we are a family. You walk around and um, you know so many people. And you think alike and talk alike, and it's just amazing. So yeah. yeah, this is definitely my my group of people. I love to be part of. So yeah. yeah.
3: It's interesting because I, I feel like um, you know right now, and I don't know if there were good old days of of sheep. You know, mm. if if you want to go back to. 1970s or, or before then, obviously back before, you know, the westward expansion, sheep were probably probably doing all right. But um, it seems to me, like my perspective, and this will be a leading question to kind of the, the status of, of sheep in, in the northern North America right now. But it seems to me that from things that you hear in the news, um, there's certain areas of the country where sheep are not doing very well at all. But then there's also um, parts of the country, and I'm sure that again this kind of applies to BC up there. Yeah. Um, but there's other spots where they're doing really well. I mean, we were just talking about uh, kind of the area where we're based. Uh, you could drive down a few of the uh, the dirt roads there, and um, you would not even know that that desert bighorn sheep were you know in trouble at all, mm-hmm. right? But then yeah. you hear a lot of things on the news. Um, uh, and you know within conservation organizations that it's kind of tough right now um so so in bc with you guys uh the wild sheep society what how how are you guys feeling about wild
0: sheep in bc oh man it's a i'd say that's loaded we got we got like you're mentioning we've got areas that are good and we've got areas that are just getting hammered yeah yeah but everything from disease habitat predators Disease is our number one, though. We're really? yeah. That's the uh, that's wiping out a lot of bighorns for us. Yeah. So is, is there something
3: that has recently changed with disease that made it so that they're uh, not doing as well, or or is there a new disease that's come along that's kind of wiping them
0: out, or is it just habitat loss combined with that? Well, I think with Movi, it's not so much a new disease, but it's newer that we know about it. Mm. So what 20 20 years roughly give or take and 20 years i i could be way wrong i just that's what i'm kind of thinking that's yeah. what i'm thinking yeah. um but it's it devastates the lambs mm-hmm. so the ewes will carry it the, the lambs come out like you're talking yeah, a couple of weeks and they're gone really so for those wow. who
2: don't know what is movie and you know like why how is it getting spread how are these wild sheep contracting it
0: they get it from uh, yeah Yeah. they get it from uh domestic sheep yeah so the domestic sheep pass it on when uh the sheep like to intermingle in the same same areas um so movies mycoplasma ovi pneumonia so it's Mm -hmm. it's a pneumonia that attacks the the hair in the uh the nasal area mm. and it yeah it's devastating they, they're, they're choking on their own mucus basically oh geez
3: so and so so it's a pretty quick uh pretty quick downfall for a sheep once they get movi.
4: is that correct well it, it's a really 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 complex disease uh yeah. and the you know it's not very well known it it does go back and i think for bc greg is on the fraser river ecosystem which is one of the ones that greg's been quite involved in 1990, we've seen a huge die-off there, and, and that's one of our flagship or legacy projects that we've been working on in BC. And there was that die-off in the 1990s, and there, it was always suspected that it was disease-related. Mm. And and now, they biologists, science, the science community, they're understanding mycoplasma over pneumonia better, and, and they've established that is what caused it. So, Um, and there's been die-offs prior to that um, and it was probably Movi at the time but we didn't have the technology to understand it we Mm -hmm. do now the problem is there's no cure so um, and one of the problems with Movi is that they have what we call shedders and basically it's a sheep that's infected and um, they're chronic shedders they continue to shed they don't actually die from it some will Mm -hmm. die and it's kind of like COVID kind of and I hate to use that word on your podcast here yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but COVID did that um, in our community we've seen that we've seen people that got COVID and they got a little bit ill or maybe didn't even they tested positive but didn't have any symptoms mm-hmm. and then there was people that died from it healthy people yeah. and sheep are kind of the same so you get these chronic yeah. shedders unfortunately COVID is just a short little virus mm-hmm. and uh, mycoplasma of pneumonia lingers it, and it doesn't you can't cure it there's no there's some treatment processes and such, but you can't cure it. So the the most common process is to try and get those chronic shedders or anything infected with MOVI out of that ecosystem if mm. at all possible. So it's it can be quick, like Greg said, that the lambs will they'll be healthy, they'll be born, they won't have MOVI because they haven't contracted it. They don't get it in the womb. But then a few weeks or months they're very social. They're big these big nursery groups. Yeah. They get infected. And within a month or two, they're dead. Quite often, so the lamb recruitment goes way down, and that's the first key sign. If you start seeing populations that are dwindling, and you see poor lamb recruitment in the fall or the, the next spring, there's no fresh lamb, or there's no lambs, um, or one-year-olds. Probably good chance that there's movie in that herd.
3: Yeah. yeah. Is this uh, so? Is this affecting obviously in BC? You guys probably have. Do you guys have doll sheep up there, or is it just we stone do. sheep? And okay, so you got basically all all three. Major North American sheep species: Bighorn, Stone, and, and Doll sheep. Is it affecting all of them equally, or are there certain species that are more resilient?
0: As far as we know, it's not in the thin horns. Okay. Hmm. If they got their. It'd be wouldn't be quick to figure it out either. And that's a it'd be devastating. Thin
3: horn is a doll sheep. Yeah, doll sheep. Yeah. Stone sheep. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's just Bighorn.
0: Just just Bighorn. As far okay. As we know. Yeah. That makes there, sense. There's been no sign of that we're aware of in, in
3: doll sheep and in in, in stone okay
4: and there have been tests we've been testing yeah. them not as much as bighorns mm-hmm. but like Greg said a die-off or an infection in the thin horn um, populations would be absolutely devastating quite often with the bighorn populations they're very um, concentrated they're you know they're almost small groups but uh, northern BC stone sheep are very contiguous they're, they're just there's literally they just you know all across the landscape up there mm-hmm. Know whatever thirteen to sixteen thousand stone sheep, whatever the number we have, or thin horns, and uh, if it if it got, uh, and so we're nervous as heck about movi and, and disease for thin horns and stone yeah. sheep, being yeah, really bad, yeah,
1: yeah.
3: That's and that's uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it kind of draws parallels to CWD and mm-hmm. the fact that I mean, because seems like it's another thing where technology picked it up, right? Could have is there a chance that this could have been around for you know, there's people in the CWD world that say that, oh, it's been around forever. It's there's no way to know. Right. Maybe one day we'll know mm-hmm. based on genetic, you know, if we can find some, uh, you know, time stamp in the genetics of that disease. But um, it, it kind of sounds like it might be a similar case here with Movi. Is it are are, the, are people talking about this possibly going back a ways or are we really thinking that it's a it's kind of a newer Newer virus here,
0: no. It's it's gone going back a ways. There's just no way to, to prove Denial, it. Right? Okay. Yeah. yeah there yeah. is in history in BC. There's big die-offs, large die-offs. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's so
2: it hints at Movi being an older disease.
4: Yeah. Well, you know. it's actually interesting, and they uh, they talk about um, you know when we had. Uh, European settlers come to North America, what that did to First Nations, because there was the old world and um, they had a a ton of, um, you know, immunities built up over like literally centuries or thousands of years or centuries for sure in people. And they were immune to a lot of these diseases. So they came to North America, First Nations populations were immune to it and they got exposed to it. And of course there was widespread die-off in Mm -hmm. the First Nations. And that's kind of what's happened with Movi. It's not really that much different is that we had uh, these old world sheep from Europe. So we had domestic sheep that have been um, bred in close proximity for literally thousands or hundreds of years at the very least. We brought them to North America. So in the 1800s, 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s, exposed these native uh, wild sheep that were, they had no immune system to it and they still haven't. And you know, they will, they'll build it, yeah. but is it a hundred years from now, 500 years from now, a thousand years from now. So it, 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 so that's the issue. So it's, it is an older disease that probably came over from, you know, those early settlers that came over in the 181900s, and, and now it's, and it's coming to roost here in North yeah. America.
3: Yeah. So what are the, what are the main defenses against it? I mean, is it, is it uh quarantining certain populations? Is that kind of one of the big things?
0: Kyle kind of mentioned it, uh, got to remove remove the sick ones it's the only yeah. way yeah yeah doing. well that's kind of like all is, you can do right now which is, is
2: a lethal removal at 90 percent of the time i'm, I'm assuming yeah unfortunately yeah. unfortunately yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Hmm. um my question is do you find that the the thin horn populations you know your your stones and your dolls are they coming in contact with these domesticated sheep as often as big horns because from the outside looking in at least my perspective uh, those stones and dolls are in areas where, where grazing might not be as prominent, um, and definitely uh, places where people have domesticated sheep on their property are definitely not as prominent because it's so remote. So, are these thin horns coming in as much contact, or, or you know, what are you seeing up there?
4: Yeah, I think that's one of the benefits. Is they are tend to be in remote areas. Quite often, they're on public land, yeah. so it's government crown land or um, lease tenures. But it's not grazing land. So, and that so in the south, the southern B.C., where predominantly we have our bighorn herds, there's a lot of private land. And that's part of the issue too. Is that you've got a domestic producer that's got these sheep, and they happen to have bighorns running through there, right. um, and they they're sick, and you want to do something about it, but it's somebody's private land. You can't you know, it's still private land, right? You can't go in there and say you can't have six sheep. So you got to appeal to people's conscience and their care for the environment or conservation. Otherwise, you can't really do anything about it. So back to your original question, you're right. The uh, thin horns are, are less likely, but there's still interaction between, uh, and what we've been as an organization, the Wild Sheep Society BC has been advocating, and others, Wild Sheep Foundation is another one, we advocate for separation. The best thing for wild sheep to keep them healthy is to keep domestic sheep away. Mm-hmm. So we wanna see a healthy domestic industry, that's important, it's, it's business, it has to happen. Yeah. People need to feed their families, fully respect that. But let's create a safe environment for that, and also a safe envi- environment for wild sheep. Yeah. So if there's areas where sheep are roaming, like Northern BC, where there's no farms, and nobody set them up, put separation around them and do it now before people do start to, you know, encroach on that land. Cause we know that with expansion and the need for more lands that things change. So yeah. Yeah. that's one of the things we've been advocating for as an organization.
3: How, how are you guys doing in terms of habitat encroachment? I mean, that's a pretty common thing across all conservation now. Um, BC, in my mind, it's a little bit more rural. Are you guys dealing with issues Habitat encroachment, like everybody else, is
0: absolutely. Yeah, forestry, <coughs> oil and gas, mining, exploration. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely. We that's one of our. We had our beast, a sheep summit in November, and we brought in. We facilitated. We brought in all the mines, in the sheep world, basically, in the conservation space, and that was everyone's number one issue. And basically, every herd we talked about was. Was encroachment was on, on the top three. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. is
3: is so is that mostly with bighorns or is that thin horns as well? Because kind of yeah. like what Lee was saying, it seems like they those high yeah. mountain alpine spots where you can't necessarily yeah. build a city. Yeah, more would be less.
0: Yeah, with with bighorns, you're definitely gonna have more. Yeah, <clears throat> more of those issues with urbanization and whatnot too. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the the northern sheep, the stones and dolls, they still they're still dealing with that. Still get it. There's yeah. still a lot of oil north. Is a lot of uh, oil and gas yeah, and mining, so yep. like we just had we had a big project last year where we helped with cleaning out an old mining site and prime landing, landing ground,
3: okay, that just clearing that space out so that they they could go back there, yeah a little, yeah. Yeah.
0: little
2: restoration project, yeah,
3: nice um, so I got this might be switching gears a little bit, but uh, just what we were talking about made me think about it, um, so are you guys aware of? um kind of like the the north brook slope caribou doll sheep uh, moose hunting bans on non-residents and how it was basically due to you know in plane hunters um with sheep hunting from my perspective it seems like most of it is fly-in uh do you guys have any thoughts on on how you know fly-in hunts might affect sheep populations
0: That's a a loaded question.
3: (laughs) Sorry, man. I'm feeding you a couple of them. Well, I'm just curious, like, because if it it does, you hear both sides, like, it doesn't have anything to do with it and has a lot to do with it. And I'm sure you guys are in contact with a lot of biologists. So I I don't know if you. I've
0: never actually had that discussion with bios on flying. I'm sure there is some effect around the lakes for people that aren't going too far from the lake, just in that small area. But. Yeah. yeah.
3: Hmm. Not, probably not affecting, like, you know, because with caribou, it's, I think the, the big issue is, you know, they have migration habit, you know, uh, paths, and that's kind of where people are landing. But, yeah. I, I just was curious that, that just kind of made me, yeah, made our, me think about that.
0: Our resident harvest numbers aren't very high.
3: Really? so, so in BC, is it, uh, down in the the lower 48, usually sheep hunting is kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime thing, maybe twice-in-a-lifetime twice, twice in a lifetime if you get lucky. Uh, is it kind of the same thing with bighorns up in BC?
4: Well, actually, you, you can buy a tag over-the-counter still for a bighorn in British really? Columbia. Oh, yeah. wow. um, but the success rate is infinitesimal, really, to be really? honest. So um, in fact, we, you know, we just had some regulation changes in in the southeast part of our province in the Kootenay region, mm-hmm. where it was a general open season, and the government changed it now to a draw system. So um, we're slowly seeing them tighten that up, and um, because again, we're seeing dwindling populations. One of the challenges we're seeing, though, is that a lot of these dwindling populations is not hunter harvest. It's uh, you know they close that season to general open in the southeast corner. I think there was 23 sheep harvested last year there when it was the general open season. Well, they're losing 30, 40, 50 a year on the highway. They're losing, wow. you know, yeah. for, for all these other things. So the one thing we've been advocating for is, you know, let's stop hunting sheep if we need to to conservation and look after the sheep first, absolutely. But my goodness, let's start dealing with the core issues here and not just saying we're just gonna stop sheep hunting because, yeah. you, know, they're, you know, let's start fixing these core issues and we've been really pushing for that. And the government's, you know, like, yeah, yeah, but we're still going to shut it down. And, and in some cases, maybe it needed to be. I'm not saying that in every case they were wrong. But our biggest thing is, let's fix the problem. Let's not just use hunting regulations. Let's actually deal with the core issues. Yeah,
2: because, so. yeah, I mean, if you shut down hunting and they're still coming in contact with domesticated sheep or, you know, getting hit on the roads, you know, dying to avalanche still, all that stuff that, that still goes on, predation, um, it's going to have a pretty small effect.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, you had said earlier that uh, predators were one of you, one of the big concerns with with sheep. Yeah. Uh, what what kind of predators are are we talking about? Wolves,
0: wolves, cougars. coyotes, yeah. cougars, black bear,
2: uh, everything, golden eagles. <laughs> really? Yeah. 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 I saw a video of a of a eagle trying to knock a mountain goat off the thing up there in BC yeah. the other day. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. So so, what? Because uh, if you look at predator hunting, um, with with deer and elk, uh, predator hunt like predator predation, most of the time has a, a pretty marginal. If you look at the science, it has a, a pretty marginal effect on on populations. I mean, there's there's certain circumstances like with ducks, right? Uh, ducks are dealing with a lot of ground predators that have been able to thrive ever since you know humans came along raccoons, foxes, all that good stuff. But if you look at like deer now it 's you know you get wolves in the area they'll they 'll take some, but you know a pack of wolves is only killing you know a hundred animals a year what What is it about sheep that? make it so that uh, predation is it just because they're small animals they have a a larger array of predators on them or what what makes them so susceptible
0: they're habitual too they're yeah they're in that one pocket so once the predators learn it they'll be back the coyotes will be waiting in the lambing grounds yeah really or like say female cougars they'll just set up shop really and follow a herd and that'll be uh, the toms they'll they'll keep going but the, the females will they'll set up shop and just them away as they get hungry
2: wow yeah it's like it's like seals during like those those penguin gatherings or whatever they just they just know the penguins show up every just year and it's a smorgasbord them. yeah i mean the predators are smart animals so i'm sure that they once yeah. they learn that there's game in the area then they're gonna hang around oh,
3: yeah. so do you guys do you guys endorse any programs of you know predator control are you guys doing any i know delta waterfowl and i bring up ducks and delta waterfowl because i was just talking to them Um, But, you know, one of their big initiatives right now is, you know, predator control in these areas. Is that something that you guys delve in or do you guys kind of leave that up to other folks?
4: Well, we don't, you know, and and honestly, most of our projects is done by government biologists or... Mm -hmm you know, there's, uh, you know, not, a, or professionals or something like that, you know, we, we're all not on the landscape doing that. And of course, you know, yeah, pred- predator I mean, to like control. Wise. but yeah, we do support it. And we certainly, we certainly, and again, you know, you mentioned about the asking about predators and about our sheep notoriously susceptible. I don't think that they are any really worse than any other species for the most part. They, it's a bit of a, a stretch, but the big thing is, is there's in so many cases in in BC now there's, and other landscapes, there's a disproportionate amount of predators. There's just mm. so many. Mm. And we're actually seeing that with caribou. There was caribou was considered a species at risk in British Columbia in certain areas. And, um, and when they've gone out and they've done predator management and the government's now involved, they've actually, there's a wolf call that's going on in British Columbia. They're removing them because, and people were saying, well, you know, what's the point? Well, they're seeing the point now that we're actually seeing, like substantial recovery in caribou nice. herds, substantial, and a lot of times the science isn't there, the stats isn't there, but they actually have really hard data that's like, well, here, look, this is what's happening. So, you know, our sheep in those areas are benefiting from it, right? Um, nice. Anecdotally, I was in an area four years ago on a hunt, and I didn't see much for ungulates at all for a week, two weeks. I went in there this year, and it was teeming with wildlife right. after after a wolf reduction program. So. Um, the government's doing it in British Columbia. There are some programs that we work with. You can't really fund predator control. We can't go hire someone to shoot wolves out of helicopters. It doesn't work like that. Um, Even the government, they can't take our money. Even if we said, hey, we'd like to contribute, they won't take our money. But... We've worked with uh, trappers to encourage them. You know, there's uh, incentives there. So we mm-hmm. work with the BC Trappers Association to try and incentivize. Um, and that's really pretty much all we can do at this point. But where we see opportunities to to enhance, um, you know, wolf reduction. And again, you know, to be very clear, we love seeing wolves on the landscape, but we just need the balance. And that's yeah, the issues yeah. is we're seeing extirpation of caribou we've seen it you know i don't know if you've had two percent on but we've seen the extra extirpation of caribou in the southern southern in the united states they're gone mm, and yeah. it's because we just weren't proactive and maybe they would have died anyway i don't know but the thing is, is is reducing wolves is having an effect in bc and we've seen that and so it's encouraging in that way
3: yeah and uh yeah to clarify what i was saying earlier as well i mean that's that's when it does work is when there's a uh, like when you know predator control does work when it's a government or like a like a, a mass effort mm-hmm. to actually control them yeah so i mean yeah that's that seems like it might yeah i, I might think be the, super necessary
2: the big thing is is like the keeping of data right mm-hmm. historically we probably haven't kept great data on that kind of stuff um, but as you know government agencies you know get more tech involved you know and are able to keep data better and you know are tracking this thing with with more you know data points and you know instead of just a few, I, I think it's you know it, it's just easier to see is this working? Is it not? If it's yes, then they continue to do it until there's a balance, no, then they go to something else. I just think that the, the agencies have such a better way to collect and, and, and review data nowadays than maybe even 20 years ago, yeah, maybe even ten years ago, oh
3: yeah. I'm mm-hmm. sure. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I, I kind of want to switch gears here. Um, I know, know you got to get out of here at some point, Kyle. But um, so, BC's been in the news a good amount, like hunting news recently. For, I mean, back in back in the day, it was the the grizzly hunt that got shut down, and it seems like you know there's always efforts, probably from certain regions of bc that affect the whole uh the whole province there um but a lot of these um are government you know maybe it's a ballot ballot box science or something like that where they are trying to take something hunting rights or you know just non-science based um biology uh, i guess would be the best way to put it are you guys suffering from any of that in the sheep world has have there been any uh pieces of legislation that have been threatening to, to sheep hunting <laughs> up there? I, uh,
4: can I jump on this? Dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've seen the, the grizzly ban, right? Mm. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, you used the, the key word is science-based wildlife management. You know, and that's what we stand for. We, we trust the science. If the science says no sheep hunting, we're not going sheep hunting. Mm. And we've seen that with the grizzly bear and, um, you know, the government just came in. There was a change of government. It was an election promise and literally overnight they just stopped it. Mm. And now we're seeing predation issues with grizzly bears, and we have no management tool to use. We can't increase tag numbers. We can't do anything around it. Controversial motive, but again, we're not relying on science-based wildlife management. So there's two campaigns that we've really focused on uh, recently, and one's our our new, uh, kind of an advocacy program called One Campfire, And one campfire is designed to educate the non-hunting public about science-based wildlife management, some of the benefits of hunting, um, and basically just have a general acceptance for hunting. It's not a recruitment, it's not the three R's that we've seen in the U.S., the great programs about that BHA does getting people out in the back country. We're looking for acceptance, saying that, you know, hunters have a place, consumptive use has a place on the landscape, and we're okay with that, and, and not voting against it, not having governments come in and shut down um, hunting. And, and and there's other initiatives that have been ongoing. You know, we're seeing a big push against the wolf cull. Um, we've seen that as well. And we're like, so we had a recent campaign called Act Now just saying, tell the government to, to rely on the science. Let's not manage wildlife on emotion. It doesn't work very well. The seven tenets of the North American Wildlife Management Model, one of them is it's based on science. We advocate for that. So One Campfire is one of those initiatives that we're, we're trying to communicate that message that and it sounds,
3: uh, sounds like what I mean, we need
2: down it, here too yeah it just sounds sensible right yeah to me it does i mean not even in, like recruiting hunters but just educating people about hunting in general yeah and the things around it i mean
3: it's actually better because it Keeps more people out of the woods for me so <laughs> yeah. to enjoy it, yeah, but we, then... We don't want you, but we just want yeah. you to understand. No, yeah, we just want yeah. you to vote for us. I mean,
2: you know, we, we talked on, on the podcast earlier when you had me on about that sheep hunt I did um, in a very touristy place in Colorado. Um, you know, we ran into a lot of tourist backpackers on the trail asking us what we were doing. And, you know, when they saw like bloody packs and a, and a dead ram's head, they obviously had lots of questions. And it was funny just, like, seeing them, once they learned about why we were there and what we had to do to be there, and then even what we had to do after we got the the thing back, um, it, it was like you just saw their eyes kind of switch from, you know, like, I don't know, you know, I don't know about you, to, like, oh, that's awesome. And then we actually had people, like, congratulating us, asking us if they wanted us to they wanted them or if we wanted them to take our picture together like hmm. as a group you know and then it was like this total change of like whoa what is that or what What are you guys doing you know and then it was just like oh that's awesome congrats this is so great you know for for you guys like what an adventure all that stuff and i, I think that that one campfire deal is just to me it sounds like something we should have, <laughs> we yeah. should have in our own backyard right definitely check
0: it out north american wide it's yeah nice okay,
3: foundations yeah. Oh, half okay. It, pretty much mm. sweet sure. was it was there another it sounded like you had two things there
4: well i touched on the one campfire and then the mm. second part was at act now um and, and greg's leads our government engagement committee team and that okay. was one of the things was just i think we sent uh, what, how many letters would you send to the government Fifty
0: thousand. Fifty thousand oh, wow. letters
4: were delivered to the government saying hey you know we just want you to stick the science you know and don't uh, because there is that push from certain entities that are, are saying no science you should be basing it on you know public acceptance, social license, uh, how people feel based on emotion and not and we've heard with the caribou it's just like you know there's some anti-hunting groups out there that are saying let them die just they're they're stupid animals they haven't adapted let science uh, let let uh, let science take care of it and don't mess with it but the problem is and our argument to that is, We have messed with it. Mm -hmm. Humans are on the landscape. We've we've changed the landscape. These predators can kill these ungulates because there's logging roads everywhere. There's gas roads everywhere. We've taken the habitat away from wild sheep in some cases and and lots of other species as well. And they have nowhere to go. So the the predators are now outnumbered because it's easy for them. We've changed the rules. Mm -hmm. And if we don't manage, we are going to have to accept that we will lose caribou. We will lose. And that's what we're afraid of is when do we have to wait till there are species at risk to take these extreme measures or we could just be a little bit proactive and do the right things along the way that science supports. That's mm-hmm. all we're advocating yeah. for. Well, that's uh, like the
2: point I mean, I've mean, i always made is, you know, a lot of, a lot of argument is like, well, let, let's just let nature take its course. At this point, we can't. Mm-hmm. Unless you know, my, uh, my cyanide pill theory, unless every human <laughs> on Earth takes a cyanide pill tonight, um, all at the same time. That's the only way we could wash our hands of it all mm-hmm. you know yeah. and and level our cities and you know remove our fences yeah um, Be our nature yeah i mean yeah. We, yeah we're a part of it and we got to accept that i in my personal opinion
3: mm. well and people don't realize that you know if it, in that instance where they're talking about just let the caribou die okay then the wolves die too and the <laughs> yeah. you know it's yeah it's it's a ridiculous argument and it's, it yeah. definitely comes from you know people that just don't think about it often right yeah. i i don't know about you guys but i personally i i think about this a lot but like with uh with hunting and conservation and being in the public you know kind of we're it's almost like we're a volleyball and and the public's always hitting us back and forth and you know we it's up to us to decide how we want to land on that person's volley but um i i feel that you kind of have to be like bulletproof with your your logic and your i mean morality too right i mean i Mm -hmm. think uh I think morality is a big thing that can't be overlooked, and you, you do have to take that uh, that like emotion you know when people look at you know killing wolves and and stuff like that I mean you got to understand that that person sees that thing as a dog, mm-hmm. and i mean i I kind of do too, but there's this whole thing but that's that's where I'm different from some of these people, and I'm sure you guys are too i I understand that that's part of nature right like there's just absolutely. It's never going to be that there's not going to be killing and in nature. And also now, with kind of what we were just talking about, there's never going to be a point where we can't shepherd everything, right? We're, we've are we got our hands way too deep in, oh, into yeah. nature right now to be able to just, especially if it's just one thing. If you just let, okay, well, we're going to manage all this other stuff, but we're going to just let the, the wolves and grizzly bears do what they want to do, right? It, it's just way too late. Mm-hmm. In that aspect, but so I think um, you know, kind of alluding to your your point on on uh, on the fireside. It was fireside, right? Fireside. One camp. One campfire. One campfire. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the biggest hurdle that we have is just you know, kind of explaining the logic, and and also as hunters or conservationists or whatever we want to be, being kind of bulletproof, bulletproof, or or at least having. Thoroughly thought through all the stuff that you know we're we're acting out in the real world. So I mean, it, it's it's tough right now because the, and there's also so much information that you can grab from here and there. But um, yeah, I don't know where that rant was going. But well, quite often <laughs> we, it. yeah,
4: quite often we're our worst enemies too. You know that some of the things that we've done on social media over the years, yeah, some of the things that hunters tend to say, we haven't done ourselves any favors, and I think that. We as a community need to start articulating things a little bit better, and you know, uh, smoke a pack a day or kill them all is not good terminology. And honestly, who really thinks that anyway? We don't. We don't want to see never see a wolf again. We just want to see a healthy balance on the landscape. That's really the message that we want to convey. And I think that's really what we want. We love to yeah. see a few wolves. We see, love to see healthy ungulates. Love to see elk and moose and sheep on the landscape. Um, but sometimes as hunters, we we do ourselves a disservice. I think we're getting better at it. But we yeah. still got a ways to go. Yeah, I think.
2: Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think in the last decade we've gotten so much better at it, um, and I think everyone's pretty much on board. Maybe there's a, a select few groups of hunters that that aren't on board with all that, but I, I'm sure they'll get there one one of these days. And you know, I, I man, I I love the one camp idea. I can't stop thinking about. it. I mean, it's just such a good idea, and I don't know why I didn't think about it.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah, well, and it's it's probably the most important pillar of it, you know, because. And I would say it's probably more important than, than R3 because um, it's just the biggest battle that we're facing right now is, mm-hmm. is just the whole the whole emotional status and being able to, to at least explain to people your morals and, and show people the food system that mm-hmm. you're running.
2: And that's just it. Like, Not everyone's going to be morally okay with, with taking a life of an, of an animal or anything. But at least if they can understand it mm-hmm. and say, okay, I understand it and yeah. then I accept it we don't need them to do it we just mm. need them to understand why and what and how and you know and yep. and accept it and not
3: think that you're just ruthlessly killing sheep for no reason right yeah. <laughs> yeah. i mean yeah that's that's the big one so so are you guys i know you said that you uh had not uh have you even gone on a sheep hunt or I've you're just a, a sheep couple, watcher but, uh, okay
1: Yes. Which is awesome. Sheep watcher works, yeah. By the way,
3: I didn't mean that, that to sound like you know. <laughs> we're at a sheep hunting foundation. I've never been on a sheep hunting hunt.
0: either. T-shirt so. made that says that later. Sheep, sheep watcher. Yeah. Sheep <laughs> watcher. Yeah. Sheep watcher. It's um, yeah. all I'm pretty good at right now. Is, that's hey, checking them out, taking pictures it, of them. It's just it's as
3: good, man. Sure there. <laughs> well, and that's good to get good at because you only if you're down in the states, you only get one or two sheep hunts a year. So you got to get good at being a sheep watcher. Then you yeah. can enjoy it every year. It, it, it,
0: it does bother some people when I tell them I don't really target sheep. Really? Well, you know where they all are. It's like, you know. It's yeah. yeah my well, not, it's my secret. It's not my time at that 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 time of the year. It's usually not my focus.
1: Yeah.
4: But. Yeah.
0: Kyle, See. have
3: have you been on, on a sheep hunt? I have. I yeah. so
4: my first one I think was in twenty ten okay. and uh, and that's why it really sucked me into this world. Um, you know, I, I grew up on, on in the prairies and there wasn't there wasn't any sheep hunting nearby anyway and I didn't know anyone that really did it. I've uh, always been a hunter, loved to be out in the landscape. I remember doing it when I was six months or well, I don't remember those days, but I was literally out in the truck with my father and grandfather at that age. But when I came to the mountains and moved to the mountain areas and started doing my sheep hunting, and 2010 was it, and luck be have it, I managed to get a really nice sheep that year too, and that really sucked me And So I think I've hunted sheep every year since then, um, and I've only harvested another one. And my odds are—they they say the year you harvest your sheep, uh, the year you start sheep hunting is the. Year your sheep was born, and usually really? you, should, you have to sheep you have to be eight, nine, eight, ten. Yeah. So it's usually seven, eight, nine, ten years uh-huh. before a guy. And my first couple of years, I got two sheep, and I was pretty. I was like, "Oh, this is easy." But uh, but also too, you know, you recognize the resource and the value of it. You don't want to go out and kill one every year. If every sheep hunter killed a sheep every year, that would not be good for yeah. Um, right. So. Yeah. I've been pretty selective. I've had other opportunities and I've had the opportunity to be with friends that have got to harvest sheep and I've been on five or six different hunts where the guys have been successful. And to me that that's just as rewarding now.
3: Oh, totally. So, yeah. So, so what is it about, sh- cause sheep hunters are fanatics mm-hmm. and people that are here at sheep show. I mean, you know, like Greg, you're, you're, sacrificing all this time to be a sheep watcher but like what is it about sheep and maybe kyle we can start with you what is it about that first sheep hunt that just made you go all in and be, and dedicate your life to it
4: i've been hunting my whole life and i went on that sheep hunt and that's the first time i ever questioned my sanity really it just you know sheep hunting's hard it just yeah. is and even the easy sheep hunts um are not easy there there really isn't and that doesn't demean any other hunt i love whitetail hunting i love you know but the reality is is that sheep hunting is in terms of if you were to look at it as challenging it is the apex it's mm-hmm. uh mountain goat arguably could be maybe a little bit harder or certainly in the same realm so it's i think it's the challenge and then the other part for a lot of people is the being in that landscape you've seen it leave you're out there um well you talked about yours was a more um, it was a bit more urban maybe the area that you were in but a lot of the areas we hunt in northern British Columbia are very remote. You'll go. You very rarely see anyone. And just to be in in their backyard, to be at the top of the mountain, sharing that with them, seeing them in their natural habitat, just to, if I go on a sheep hunt and I see a sheep, I come away a changed person. Like, yeah. it's just yeah. so, it's, the, it's a spiritual experience for sure.
2: And being so. able to see them in their natural habitat up close or even far away, but maybe even like about 200 yards, like we were a hundred yards from a from a huge band of ram. I mean, lo- lots of rams, twelve rams maybe, and it was just so amazing to see them that that close. When typically you're only seeing them from the side of the road, or maybe if you're in Glenwood Springs, you'll see them from the gondola going up to the you know the caves mm-hmm. or whatever. But um, yeah, no, you you mentioned that one that one sheep hunt. It was crazy because we're twelve miles back, but there's still so many backpackers on right. on the trail. And I was like, what are you all doing back
3: here? <laughs> we yeah, are. You're on on denali the border of denali right? well so
2: that was in alaska um and oh, that was remote oh, okay, that yeah, was remote yeah, you know yeah, we got yeah. dropped off yeah. um but then that that one <clears throat> the one colorado Rocky Mountain bighorn hunt we were 12 miles back and yeah people were still walking by us yeah we we're like what are you doing back here yeah. and they were actually going farther yeah. and up and over and you know doing their just like, for hot springs yeah <laughs> yeah for a hot spring Yep, yeah, yeah. exactly
0: yeah we don't we don't have too many areas like that yeah where the uh hikers are intermingling with the, the sheep hunters yeah so. that's
2: nice yeah well i mean you guys don't even have like trails right i like, it's all like if an outfitter cuts a trail there's a trail there but there's no like uh like government managed trail system back there right
4: correct and, and the guide outfitters they they don't advertise where they are like they they do have horse trails but you know they're trying to be discreet about it they don't want people traipsing through there either right mm-hmm. like so you know, even if there are trails, trying to find them is, is a challenge. Um, yeah. So it's, and then quite often sheep aren't on trails, right? They're, you know, they, they there may be an outfitter trail in, but then, you know, there's spurs or valleys that, that they'll be up as well. So, yeah, sometimes it's, yeah, literally so, there's been days where I've gone two, two miles in, in a day, like just battling up a, a ravine and trying to get through this thick stuff and it just... And then ironically we found a trail and we did the rest of it in like half a day so it yeah. uh, goes to show you do good do a good reconnaissance when you're going in and find that right, trail right yeah. Yeah.
3: that's yeah. So. oh i learned I'm, that from like hunting oak brush in color i mean yeah any any thick or uh, up in alaska you know walking on the tussocks if right. you can find a trail man mm-hmm. in in that in any terrain that's shitty walking it's such a game
0: changer <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the yeah interlocking shrubs you got to try to fight your legs through oh <laughs> yeah. that's the worst it feels like they're the swallowing you
2: too yeah
0: yeah getting the high willows yeah but so Greg, what about you for what was sheep, the question? uh like, oh, yeah. like <laughs> what what, <laughs> made, you yeah, what made you a fanatic about oh, sheep sorry yeah. Yeah. uh you know what it was i was looking for a place to kind of call home for conservation i knew i needed to give back i lifelong hunter was, yeah like ever since her little dad was taking us out that was it was what we were what we were doing every weekend we we're out in the bush and eventually you know, I, I found i had time i could start giving back so i started looking for a new home kind of to focus my energy and tried to different groups um actually went to our Camloop show we invited you guys up to it's yeah hopefully you come one day yeah hopefully um, we can
2: make it up I still have to get my passport, though. Yeah, I, I, I <laughs> got I got
0: a membership. I went to Camloops. I, you know, I sat in every seminar, met everybody I could. You're sitting in the seminars and you're you're finding out what's wrong with the sheep. And you no, know, I had not the slightest idea of what was actually going on in our province when it came to sheep. It's like oh, the sheep are on the side of the highway. You see them when you're going mule deer hunting or off to moose hunting. You run into them. But um, so anyway, yeah meet all these great people find out the struggles the wild sheep are going through i get back like i bought a life membership within like a couple of weeks i yeah start find kyle on social media i start hounding him i'm like how (laughs) can i help and i even uh we started a calendar a few years ago and that was just me i messaged kyle on facebook and i go you guys need a calendar that says what you're doing (laughs) that's awesome immediately phones me back he's like Sounds like you're building the calendar for us. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds awesome, like
2: man. you are uh, now an actual volunteer. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and then the, the next, the next AGM, I was fortunate enough to get onto the board of directors, um, and then a year after that, we got. I ended up becoming the secretary and just finishing up my second term as secretary. So it's
2: so you just what just man, eat you, the just, time. Yeah, you just yeah, you uh, just dove head head first, <laughs> man. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. It, it's it was good. Good. that's what. conservation needs man yeah seriously
0: you know being a lifetime outdoorsman i i had no idea how bad the issues were with wild sheep yeah they seem to get ignored yeah like Mm. even for us we're we're a small we're a small organization we got 1300 members but man they're some of the most dedicated folks you'll ever Uh, ever meet like the 1300 members and almost 700 of them are life members really wow that's pretty good yeah, right, right there.
3: Yeah, that's huge. What do you do for a day job?
0: I actually, I build high rises. Uh, mm. I'm a superintendent for a, a former formwork company.
3: So, so you're you're you just opposite. everything you do is dealing with heights.
1: Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> tall the mountains, spots. tall buildings. <laughs> yeah, I got
0: to build the tall building so I can see the mountains, and then I got to yeah. go to those mountains. They're always there, there, no, you go. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, that's
1: awesome. Yeah.
3: Well, I was about as good of an ending as I can think of right there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah it was pretty good. Yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have anything else that you wanted to, to touch on here?
4: Well, we're at Sheep Week, and you guys are here. Mm-hmm. Um, appreciate that you're coming to be part of the party. And, yeah. you know, um, I know I think this is your first show, is it, Ryan? It's my first sheep show, yep. Yeah, and yep. Lee.
2: Yeah, it's my first sheep show except for the digital one, so it's my first one here in, in, in person. Yeah.
4: Right. Yeah, so, I, you know, I think uh, – you know sheep show is such a great time and and I truly feel uh, part of a family in in the wild sheep world and and sheep week's part of that so I just walk around here and I feel like there's all my brothers and sisters are just hanging out and it's pretty cool so yeah it's yeah. a pretty cool community I love it and uh, love that you guys are part of that and and just to to be here and a present and support is really cool so thank you guys for yeah. showing up
1: yeah
2: yeah we're happy to be here and happy that the you guys like found us a really cool spot to be I mean mm-hmm. it's just like Mike, um, you know, the, your guys' events coordinator, was just on it yesterday. And, man, he he found us a great spot to be. So we're, we're just happy to be here and happy to be a part yeah. of Wild Sheep um, Conservation. Because it truly, I mean, you're. I, I didn't really think about it until you just said that. But they do kind of get overlooked. And that's surprising to me. But now that I think about it, they, they do. And I'm, I'm glad it's that optics. we're here and we're doing this podcast. Yeah. And, yeah, all, all the good stuff.
3: Probably because less people are able to hunt them and, and see them just yeah. in general it's mm-hmm. like an optics thing you can't be yeah. seen That, but, but I mean the the good thing is the people that are I mean just what you're saying about brothers and S- there's definitely a community around here for sure I mean mm-hmm. just the casinos and stuff like that are all around here and you know you just see sheep people meeting little, little bands d- of sheep people I know yeah. I
2: was like I bet you like the people in the casinos find it so weird when a whole bunch of like kind of, like, grungy, grungy you know, like, like, bearded yeah. people, like, just start coming through in camouflage, and, <laughs> and, you know, like, shirts that, like, say, like, sheep camp and stuff, mm. they're probably wondering, what the hell is going on?
3: <laughs> it, it, it probably would stick out if we weren't in Reno, Nevada. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's the... Incredible, that's incredible the, mix of
0: people, too, in the sheep it world. Is, it right. is. Yeah. yeah. Joe Blow lives in the bush for six months of the year, mm-hmm. and then he got... The richest of the rich, everyone's coming together and yeah. Yeah. sitting around the same,
2: same, same campfire, yeah. the one campfire, man. one campfire. campfire. Yeah. Yeah. Like it.
0: yeah.
3: Well, appreciate you guys. Thank Thanks. you for jumping on yeah. Brian and Brian we'll, Lee. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. Thanks, yep. guys. Yep.